Dear ones, this past week has been a difficult week, both for me personally and for our church as a community. Last Sunday, as I was preparing for worship, I got a call from my dad informing me that my grandfather passed away. In the midst of that, I knew that we had difficult challenges this week of, of communicating what's going on in the life of our congregation right now. And this, I just got back yesterday evening from Chattanooga as we, as we laid my grandfather's remains to rest. As we put ashes into the ground, their final resting place. And as we did that, our, our family gathered afterwards with friends and, and loved ones at a reception and, and uh, told stories and looked at pictures. And my brother was in town from, and his family from Seattle. And so we had this, this blessing of a family time. It's amazing how these things happen at weddings and funerals. And we talk about how great they are, but yet we only do them at weddings and funerals. Maybe your family's better than mine. But as we gathered together, I was reminded of how important belonging is, how important connection is, how important the love we share one to one another is. And I was able, as much as I could, to, to put aside the weight of what we, are, what we are going through as a church family to carry the weight of what my own family was going through, and uh, I have to confess, I didn't want to, to drive home, my family's still together, and so, but I'm here with you, and as I think about these two difficulties that we face, I want you to know, especially thinking of the difficulties I face, I, I want you to know that the difficulties that that we face as a congregation together, that I face with you as your pastor, are so puzzling to me because they do not align with what I have seen over the past two and a half months as your pastor. The difficulties and challenges that we are facing today do not align with the, the current church that I have experienced since July 1st and really well before then, the, the, the church that I have seen over the past two and a half months is, has been a church that says we want to belong together and we want to create belonging for other people. And you've welcomed me in that way, in ways that are beyond hospitable. And, and this is also a church that says we want to create hope. And so when we see someone who is, who is new or disconnected, we find ways to help them welcome. It's a testimony that over the past few weeks, we've had a few first-time visitors and first-time guests with us, and, and, and then somebody has invited them to eat dinner with them on Wednesday night, and they've participated in this and, 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 and centered around tables. And I apologize to them on this past Wednesday because we were having a difficult family conversation, but the things that I have seen over the past two and a half months just do not align with the difficulties this church is facing, the, the hope and the promise that I have seen in and amongst as you've done all the hard things, as you've welcomed youth and children, as, as you 
host camp in the community, as you care for those who are, who are ill. I've come to realize, though, that the difficulties current church faces today are the deferred consequences of hard times this community of faith has had over the past five years. You know what happens to deferred maintenance on a building. And we are living today with deferred, deferred consequences of difficult times. As I mentioned earlier, going to your doctor for blood work and receiving the news that you need to take new medication, you need to eat in a different way, and, and, and doing this will help you become more helpful and, and will keep you surviving longer term. My grandfather went to bed every night after drinking at least two scotches. He lived to 93, so maybe there's a recipe for, for what to do in life. I don't know. Um, the doctors were arguing with him at 92 that he shouldn't continue to do this. Well, anyways, 93 is a good life. <clears throat> and then, of course, if, if you, it, it, but you, you maybe you don't like to take the medication because it makes you feel funny and you felt just fine before you were given the script or you don't let, like the way the new diet makes you feel or, or you know better than the doctor and, and, and you feel fine today. But eventually it all catches up with you and, and, and you will likely, they can't predict this 100%, but you will likely have a health crisis and end up in the hospital. Jesus had been traveling around doing miracles, healing people, teaching people, giving people eyesight, giving, giving people hope, delivering them from the entrapments of their spirit, the things that kept them awake at night and kept them separated from other people. And, and Jesus was traveling around the countryside offering hope and, and offering healing to them. And then he, he traveled to his own hometown. Perhaps he traveled to his hometown so that, so that they could too experience this blessing that Jesus was, was giving people. Maybe he traveled to his hometown so, so that he could share this good news with friends that he grew up with, with, with his own family perhaps. And, and as he traveled to this home, his hometown, we find though that the people that he was around did not have the best reaction. Because they knew Jesus growing up. Perhaps they knew Jesus as a troublemaker in Sunday school and they couldn't imagine that he would be somebody that would be giving hope to those who were hopeless. But he goes to his home and he's teaching in the synagogue and, and trying to share with them the, the good stuff that God has for them as, as he had just been sharing all the good stuff with, with all these other communities. And, and he goes to them and, and as they were there, people that, he, that he's around say, isn't, we know this guy from a long time ago. The people that Jesus is talking with don't have the best of reaction to Jesus, in fact. And in Matthew chapter 15, this is, we see their reaction. Matthew chapter 15 says, they were surprised. He's teaching, he's, he's probably offering healing, but, but the people there, they were surprised and they said, where did he get this wisdom from? Where did he get the power to work miracles? Isn't he the carpenter's son? I mean, the carpenter's son wouldn't be a religious teacher. Isn't his mother named Mary? Now, I don't know if that's an insult to people who are named Mary or not, but um, 
you know, they, they, they evidently think that Mary couldn't have sired, you know, had a child who was up to any good. Aren't James and Joseph and Simon and Judas his brothers? I mean, we know his siblings. They're just common folks. They, they, don't, they don't contribute to anything positively, perhaps. And his sisters, aren't they here with us? Where did this man get all this from? And then the scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 15, verse 57, that they were repulsed by Jesus. Jesus came offering hope and healing, and, and they were repulsed by Jesus and fell into sin. And then we read that he was unable, Jesus was unable to do any miracles because of their unbelief. They had the promise of God standing right in front of them. They had the promise of God sitting in their midst. They had the promise of God as a next door neighbor. They had, they had someone who had, who had healed people and, and, and brought people to a, a new sense of wholeness in life. And, and the promise of God was standing right in front of them. But their hearts were cowards. They couldn't see. They couldn't see the promises of God. And they were repulsed by them. Jesus talks a lot about getting your heart ready to see God. Just earlier, before he came to his hometown, he was talking with his disciples and teaching them, and they were asking him some questions, and he said, happy are you, or blessed are you, because you have eyes and you can Happy are you, blessed are you, because you have eyes and they can see. Blessed are you because you have ears that hear. Jesus is telling his disciples, those closest to him, you are so blessed because not only can you see, you can see what's happening. You are so blessed, not only can you hear, you can listen to what's happening, to the promises of God that are unfolding in front of you. Dear ones, in the face of difficulty, it is hard to see the promise of God. In the face of difficulty, it's hard to see the promise of God. Each time when I bury your loved one, I stand over an open grave and I, and I curse out to death, yell out to death, as Paul says, where, O oh, death, is your victory? And we stand over an open grave and laugh at death because death mocks us on a daily basis. But yet, the Christian message is that as you stand over an open grave and all the evidence points towards death being final, the Christian response to this is this is not the end, that Christ is the end. And at the end, there is life. At the end, life overcomes death. And so as we have our loved one that we give back to God, we give back to God in sure and certain hope resurrection from the dead. This is the greatest Christian message and this is why I love to proclaim, this is what I love to proclaim at funerals. It's hard dealing with funerals. but The message is so true. But then, you know, I stood, we were at the National Cemetery in Chattanooga, so 
There was no open grave in which we were able to stand, but there was a box of ashes sitting there. And all I was was sad. In the moment, it was hard to remember the promise of God because the difficulty is so weighty. Difficulties cloud, cloud our judgment, cloud our vision. Difficulties threaten to make us like Jesus' hometown that's repulsed by the future of God that that's, 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 doesn't let us see what God wants us to see. Difficulties cast upon us in ways that are hard to understand what's going on in life. I want to share with you about another time of difficulty. In Jeremiah chapter 32, this is in the Old Testament, Jeremiah is a prophet. Anyways, in Jeremiah chapter 32, the whole city of Jerusalem and all of Judah, this is the southern kingdom of, of, of the Holy Land, and all of Judah is, is under threat by the Babylonians. The Babylonians are the evil empire of the day, and, and, and the Babylonians are, are threatening the people of God in Judah. Not only are they threatening them, the whole city is under siege. And, and if you know anything about siege warfare, basically what's happened is that the city's been turned into a prison, okay? Because the, the Babylonians have encircled the city. They're outside the gates. They've cut off water supply. They've cut off food coming into the city. They've cut off rescues that may need to go outside the city. They have put everything that they have, the greatest empire at the time in the world, has come down upon Jerusalem, the city of God. The kingdom will fall, and the kingdom is about to fall. It's only a matter of time. Difficulty upon difficulty. And in here, also, Jeremiah, the prophet, is not just in this city, but Jeremiah is in a prison inside a city that is basically a prison. Because Jeremiah had the audacity to see with the eyes that God gave him and to proclaim the truth. So Jeremiah the prophet is, is, is in prison in a city that is imprisoned. And when you think about, he's about to be asked by God to make an investment. And when you think about an investment, the advice is always to buy low and to sell high. The problem is, you never know how low you're supposed to buy, and you never know how high you're supposed to sell. But you want to be careful and not to sell if things haven't, or not to buy if things haven't hit the bottom yet. You know, there's that, like, is it here? Is it here? Is it here? And, and, and if, you, if, you, if you buy too early, then you threaten, you know, your investments can, your investments, uh, your investments can, you know, even go even less and further down, and that's a difficult thing. And so when the city is under direct threat, where is the bottom, okay? The bottom is total destruction, and that's what's upon them. But Jeremiah is asked to make an investment. God comes to Jeremiah, and he tells him to make not just an investment, but a crazy investment. In fact, all the financial advisors and the pundits would say, do not make this investment. This ground, this city is going to be worthless in a matter of weeks, in a matter of months, and you can get a much better rate if you wait around until then. But God tells Jeremiah, 
says, your cousin, Jeremiah's in prison, your cousin is going to come to you, and he's going to try to sell you his land. Now, we all know why the cousin wants to get rid of his land, because the cousin knows where the value is going. And if he can cash out today, he's not buying selling high, but he's selling at least not at the bottom of, of where the value of his land will be. And so he's trying to sell out his land before it loses all the value, and God wants Jeremiah to buy it. It's crazy. Jeremiah is in prison, destruction is coming, and he has insider knowledge that he's supposed to buy this. Now, you know, insider trading gets you in trouble, but he is like insider trading where the stock is going to be worthless. And I mean, I think you go to prison for that. He's already there. So Jeremiah does it. He buys the land. And then Jeremiah gives the takes the deed from the land that he has just purchased and gives it to his close friend, his secretary, his confidant, a guy by the name of Baruch. And he says to him in Jeremiah chapter 32, beginning in verse 14, the Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel proclaims, take these documents, this sealed deed of purchase along with the unsealed one, and put them in a clay container so that they will last for a long time. Jeremiah knows that you have to invest for the long term. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims, houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. So everybody else thinks the land is done. Everybody else thinks God has given, the, given up on them. Everybody else knows that they need to sell before things get too bad. And here is Jeremiah investing in something that God cares about at a time that would seem inopportune. He makes a crazy investment, but God says, hold on to it. May this be a sign because someday, one day, the people will come back and again there will be houses, again there will be fields, again there will be vineyards, signs of prosperity in the land of God. And Jeremiah is helping pursue that, or to um, secure that. Jeremiah makes a crazy investment because he has the eyes to see God's promise. Jeremiah makes a crazy investment because he has the eyes to see God's promises. That even though things are difficult now, that God will restore the land and bring hope again. Though he has the eyes to see the promises of God, he still has a difficult time. And so he, he, he asks God about what he's being asked to do. And he, he, he prays to God, I'm going to share with you this prayer. And kind of an honest prayer because he says, God, I, I know what you've asked me to do, but things are tough right now. I mean, you know, what, what's, what, what, what am I supposed to do? know what I'm supposed to do, but things are tough right now. Have you ever had that conversation with God? I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not sure I really want to do this right now. This is what he prays and asks God for clearer vision in verse 24 of chapter 32. Now the siege ramps are in place to take the city. So the, not only are they starving out the city, but the, the ramps are up to go up the city walls to invade. The siege ramps are here to take the city and the Babylonians are about to capture it by war, famine, and disease. 
So they know disease can take over when you don't have fresh water. So they're starving out the fresh water. Famine, they know the famine's going to happen because the storehouses are only so big and they can only get through so long without bringing in fresh food from the fields and also by war. What you have pronounced is now happening as you can see. So tell me. So why tell me, Lord, to buy the field for money and to make sure that there are witnesses when the city is under Babylonian control. He says, why are you asking me to do this? Why are you asking me to do something that is clearly a ridiculous thing to do? Next, God responds to Jeremiah's prayer for clearer eyes to see, and he says, Then the Lord's word came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all living things, is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me? You have been saying this city will be handed over to the king of Babylon through sword and famine and disease. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I will gather them from all the countries where I have scattered them in my fierce anger and rage, and I will bring them back will bring them back to this place to live securely. They will be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one mind so that they may worship me all the days of their lives for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them never to stop treating them graciously. I will put into their hearts a sense of awe for me so that they won't turn away from me. I will rejoice in treating them graciously and I will plant in them and I will plant them in this land faithfully with all my heart with all my being. God says, yeah, I know things are hard but is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me? Really, the, the difficulties and, and, and consequences of, of the prior years of difficulties that the people of Israel are facing, I mean, this is not unlike Kern Church. I mean, we don't have, we don't have like uh, an empire at the gates. We don't, we don't have disease and famine taking hold. Uh, but, but, but yet the, the consequences of, of years of, 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 of things not of years of difficulties are catching up with the people in Jerusalem. But, but God asked Jeremiah to make a radical investment in the promise of God. In the promise of God. And God says, you are making that investment so that you will have the eyes to see my promise. So that you will know that I'm not done with you. Yesterday, this is a terrible example, but I've already said that, so now you want to know. Yesterday, we were sitting around after walking to the park in the morning, sitting around having lunch, and uh, my brother shared with me, or shared that he, he was wanting to, he was making a wager on the UT football game, and I guess it worked out for him. But where he lives, he's not able to do that because it's illegal. And, you know, this is the Methodist preacher. You probably shouldn't gamble. Okay, there's my perfunctory line of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. 
But, but, but he said, you know, I, if, if I put $20 or $50 on this game, I'm more invested in the outcome of it. I, I care more. And he said, I could care less if, if Auburn wins or loses, but if I were to put a little bit of money on this game, my stakes would be in there. I, 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 would, I would want what was, what was happening. And so this is that's a really bad example, but like, um, like that's what God is asking Jeremiah to do, to, to make an investment, to have skin in the game so that he can see with fresh and new eyes. And, and I want you to know, dear ones, my prayer this morning as I was getting ready to come and be with you was this. God, may your Holy Spirit replace my eyes of unbelief with your eyes of powerful possibility. The spectrum between belief and unbelief, it's not right, it's not on or off. Jesus was going to heal this, this person, and, and he asked the Father, he said, do you believe? And he said, yes, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. So you can believe and still have unbelief in your heart. And, and so my prayer this morning is, oh God, may your Holy Spirit replace my eyes of unbelief with your eyes of powerful possibilities. Last week, I want you to know for me, it was one of the hardest weeks that I've ever experienced, personally and in ministry. But I also want you to know that I experienced more immediate and miraculous answers to prayers in the past week than I ever have in one time period in my life. And I want to share them with you. I received three immediate answers to prayers as it relates to my prayers for our church. And I received another answer to a prayer I didn't even know I was praying. First, when you look at this facility in, in which we worship, it was a, it's a great facility that was put together by loving hands throughout the years as people tried to live faithfully on the calling of God in your life. But today... Building use is much different than it was in 1950 and 1960 and 1990. And so many, so throughout the week, much of this building is, is, is unused and underused. And, and because of energy costs are where they are today, this building represents one of our, it's an asset, but it also represents a large liability in, in, in being able to live faithful into God's calling on our life. And so I've been praying, Lord, help us make this building our great, one of our greatest assets. Help change this building from a liability into one of our, our greatest assets. And this is what I've been praying. And, and God gave me this, this vision of development that could, that could really, I think, help us do the ministry of God in really powerful ways. And I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Well, uh, a Tuesday of last week, somebody called me. And Monday, somebody called me and said, can I meet with you in the afternoon next week? And I'm like, okay, I don't think they're mad. I don't think they're upset about something. And and I can't take any more of that this week. So, yes, go ahead. And, and so they, they come to my office at 2.30, and, and we sit down, and I don't know what this conversation is, and this person says, Will, have you ever thought about, you know, maybe us thinking about how we can better utilize our building to make it not so much of a liability, but really an asset, a place that can help power ministry here? And, and I just prayed this prayer six days prior. And he, this person said, what if we put together a small group of people that could help begin thinking about and making plans to help us do this? And I said, you don't know. This is an answer to a specific prayer. And so I want you to start walking in this way 
and I'm praying for this. I want you to start making these steps. Then, Wednesday evening, before I was coming to share with you all, another one of my prayers has been, Lord, help us as a congregation to, to connect more people to spiritual growth, ways for you and I to grow spiritually and grow closer to one another. And we have Sunday school classes right now, but I can't be involved with the Sunday school class. And, and we, have, we need other ways to help get people connected. And somebody shared with me, Right before our, our Wednesday night fellowship dinner, they said, you know, really, I, I, when I hear what you're talking about, I see such a spiritual need here. And, and I think what, what God is calling us to do is to figure out this spiritual life and discipleship and grow as closer and more deeply committed Christians with God and with one another and, 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 and started laying out this whole beautiful picture of, of how God was giving them this, this beautiful knowledge. And, 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 and I just stopped and I said, I want you to, Pray about this right now because you don't know this is an answer to a prayer. So this person is praying about this and, and I don't know where that goes, but God is moving in the midst of it. And then I also know that, that, that we're working in, in, to make our, our financial reporting and this is like boring to a lot of people, but it's so important right now. We're, we're working to make our financial reporting more transparent and more available. It's, if you want to see the books, you can like call the church office and it's all like can see it. It may not make sense, but you can see it. And so um, we're working on trying to get that better and, and get it closer to, to knowing what is actually today. And, and so, so, so on Wednesday night, somebody was, was saying, you know, I work on this, I do this, and, and um, how are you planning to do this? And I said, I don't know yet. Um, but, but this person started to share, and, 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 you know, I'm just like, this is an answer to prayer, and I want to get them connected to help us make this happen. And then, so the three prayers miraculous prayers that were answered within a few short days that have magnitudes of impact on this church. And then the other thing, this is something I didn't pray for, but there was an answer that so many people have reached out to me. Colleagues, friends reached out to me and said, I'm praying for you, and I'm with you, and I'm with Kern Church. As we were at my my grandfather's, after my grandfather's service, um, the, my, 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 his, his surviving spouse, my, my grandmother, she, she said, I won't, she became my grandmother just eight years ago, just to share that context, but uh, she said, you know, your pop-pop, we don't need flowers, and why don't we, we send memorial gifts to your church, okay, and and so I'm like, okay, great. Do, do you want them to go to the parsonage? I said, no, the parsonage is fine. Do you, what can we do? How can we send them? And so we, we put in the, the obituary, please send memorial gifts to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church in lieu of flowers that, that Bud's grandson is the pastor of this church. And I can't tell you how many people came up to me and said, you know, I read that and then I looked up your church and I read the letter that you had just written just two days ago so moved. I want you to know that we're praying for you and for your church. I can't even count the number of people outside this church that are praying for you. It's an answer to a prayer I didn't even know I needed to pray. Today, things truly seem difficult. The honesty in this is that we are faced with two options. Are we going to be like Jesus' hometown where they were repulsed by what they saw and fell into sin? 
Therefore, Jesus wasn't able to do any miracles in their midst because they didn't believe. Are we going to be like Jeremiah? We're going to be like Jeremiah and invest in God's promises. God's promises, God's future blessing occurs. Jesus tells us, blessed are your eyes for they see. Blessed are your ears for they hear. The promises of God. In just a short time, I'm going to invite you on a prayer campaign hopefully by next week, to pray specifically for eyes to see, to pray specifically for your church, to pray specifically for those that need to know the love of Jesus through Kern Church. But for today, I want to invite you to join me in my prayer. God, may your Holy Spirit replace my eyes of unbelief eyes of your powerful possibilities. And if you need a short form of this prayer to pray, which is what I need, because I can't remember a whole sentence when I pray it throughout the day, it's just, Lord, give me the eyes to see. Lord, give me the eyes to see. So when you're struggling, it doesn't have to be about the church, it could be about your kids that are driving you crazy. It could be about you know, your, your parents that you're struggling to take care of. It could be about whatever the case, that your quesadilla at Taco Bell, or they don't make them anymore. You can't get your Mexican pizza. Lord, give me the eyes to see. May that be our prayer. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.